people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome back to another week of Kidney Talk. Another week. I'm so glad we're here. And and today we're going to be talking about, you know, don't sweat the kidney stuff. How do you cope with chronic kidney disease? Really? That's what we're going to be talking about. Because it is hard to cope with. I get depressed. I get, you know, I, I was, I get depressed Every time I go to dialysis, when I come home, I get a little depressed because, you know, my blood pressure is so low and I get so drained and I feel like I'm sitting there watching television. I just can't move. I don't feel, I feel like I, right. the best way I can describe it is I feel like I have a massive hangover, but I don't have the night before. I don't have the fun the right. night before, but I had this massive hangover after dialysis. Well, I know one of the things that makes me feel good is when I get my lab results and they're normal or as normal as they can be. Mm-hmm. But I'll, like, stress out, like, I'm not feeling very well. And, you know, my creatinine's kind of average. It's not ever been great for my mm-hmm. transplant. And, you know, once I get my lab results and my creatinine's normal or where it's supposed to be, I just have this sense of relief, like everything's okay. But leading up to that, sometimes I'm just nervous, like, oh, my goodness, my blood pressure, is it high, is it low? Um, uh, you know, am I anemic? Am I this? And I start all of these feelings just ramble in my head, and I just have to, like, quiet them. And it's difficult because you constantly have to cope with having kidney disease and some of the things that happen. And even when when I'm asleep, I, I dream about kidney disease. Isn't that, is that weird? Did you ever that, have that experience? I actually, I have had experiences of dreaming about kidney disease and, you know, dreaming about, you know, losing my transplant. Um, I dreamt one time that I got Two, got called for two transplants at the same time. And you had and to I decide which was the right one? I had to decide which one. Oh, um, it was really weird. I've, I've had some really interesting dreams, but most of the time nowadays I'm so darn tired I just pass out and don't dream about anything that I can remember. <laughs> I had two very strange dreams. One was I'd be... I, the first one was I was being chased by a dialysis machine. <laughs> You know, and I was trying to get away from it because, you know, the the dialysis machine wanted to stick me. That sounds like know? a horror film that you could probably produce. Oh, I know. I, I, I thought of <laughs> the it. The sci-fi you know, channel. The you're attack taking of the killer dialysis, the, the dialysis machine. machine. And the other one was just totally out in left field. I I, I got a call uh, for a kidney transplant, and it was Ethel Merman. Oh, it was Ethel Merman's kidney or it Ethel, Ethel Merman? Ethel Merman called me. She came back from the dead, I guess, and uh, <laughs> wanted to give me her kidney. And I said, but will I have to sing like you? Oh, no. And uh, she said, yes, of course. And I said, I, I, you know, turned down the kidney. Do you think that's a dream or a nightmare? I don't know. <laughs> well, anyways, today we have a very special guest with us, um, Howard Feinberg. Um, he has been working. The, 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 that that Howard Feinberg. Howard Feinberg. I yes. love Howard Feinberg. <laughs> you know he has been working with uh, kidney patients and their families um, as a dialysis social worker and as a psychotherapy. You know, in his own private practice, his clinical expertise is greatly enhanced through his own experience because he's been a kidney patient for over 25 years. So you mean to tell me he is a kidney patient and a psychotherapist? Yes. I mean, he has some real practical knowledge that he's going to share with us. On how to cope with kidney disease. Yes. 
What a perfect person to have on the show. I know. I'm glad I thought of it. <laughs> oh, you thought of this guy. All right. Sorry about that. All right. When we come back, Howard Feynman. No, Feinberg. Okay. <laughs> about your high school years, one of the strongest memories people have is their prom. It's their one night to shine, one night to dance the night away, one night to ride in a stretch limo, one night to feel like a star. This January 14th, the Renal Support Network will hold its eighth annual premiere event, the Renal Teen Prom. This is the chance for teens to stop thinking about the needle sticks, the PD exchanges, and the constant meds they have to take. For one night, they celebrate their life with hundreds of other teen kidney patients, and the only prescription is, have the time of your life. So this January 14th, join us on the campus of prestigious Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California. The prom features live entertainment, a renal-friendly dinner, dancing, limo rides, glamour photos, and Hollywood celebrities. And get this, it's absolutely free. To receive an invitation or make a donation to an Evening Among the Stars renal teen prom, Visit rsnhope.org or call 818-543-0896. That's 818-543-0896. You've got the power to brighten someone's life. This is your chance to shine like the stars. Well, welcome, Howard Feinberg. That's a, a lot. Nice to, Jewish boy. That's a lot to say in one uh, <laughs> in one mouthful. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, yes. I want to know all about you. And this is Lori Hartwell. You remember her? Uh, don't of you? course I do. Yes. Hi, Lori. Nice I'm to see you. Can forget Lori Hartwell. <laughs> Everybody, you know, everywhere I go, Howard. You know, I mentioned kidney disease. They go, oh, do you know Lori, Lori Hartwell? Hartwell? Of course. That's that's my claim to fame. Is kidney, kidney, kidney disease? Lori kidney disease <laughs> Hartwell. <laughs> it should have been kidney well, not Hartwell, right? That's right. It's right. So tell us about you. I mean, what is your story? We want to know all about all Howard about Feinberg. Me. Well, I happen to have kidney diseases as well, if you can oh, believe perfect. that. I know. The reason you why are you're qualified here. to be on Kidney Talk. That's right. That's right. Um, they found my kidney disease when I was 21, and that was only about seven, eight years ago. Wow. Like me. We have the same age span, too. That's right. Yeah, That's right. like me. Now, how, how did you find it? Did they, you... Act, they actually found it in a routine blood test. I was uh, I was at college, um, as, as conscious as I could be at college, and I was going for a job, and um, I needed to do uh, a physical, and they found it in uh, my blood test. They found my creatinine was elevated. And they said, you need to go see your doctor. You've, you've got uh, possibly problems with your kidneys. And sure enough, I had problems with my kidneys. And this is, I, again, this was when I was 20 years old. And uh, I, that was over 25 years ago. So were you in denial you know, like most college students Absolutely. Were. I mean, you know, I had the exact same situation. Uh-huh. I was going into college. I had a routine uh, physical. They found that I was a diabetic. Amazing. You know, Amazing. Uh, and I just said, nah, I'm not a diabetic. Yeah. Or, All right, so what? I'm a diabetic. I won't eat uh, sweets. Exactly. That lasted two weeks. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I, and I had a similar situation because they said no protein. I said, well, okay, I can do this. And uh, it was it was awful because I was, at, I was in college already and I was living on campus and enjoying all the craziness of being in college and uh, and everything stopped basically so they actually recommended a low protein diet yes, for they did. you they, oh, did. Okay. they thought at that time they thought it would it might stabilize 
Um, certainly won't stop the uh, the, the the kidney f- uh, disease from progressing, but but it might stabilize and might might put it off for a while. And uh, when did you end up having to go on dialysis? I actually I was very lucky the first time around. I I missed dialysis uh, after ten years. Uh, it was a very slow progression, and um, they put me on the list in 1990, at, and I got my my transplant back then in one year. Oh in wow! One year and what hospital one year. was that? One year at UCLA. Oh my goodness! Yeah, the, this was back in the, you know 1990. Now, do you remember what your creatinine was when you were a, t- a kid? I remember going into being called for the surgery, and I remember going in, and they said your creatinine was at 11. No, but I mean, when you were first diagnosed, when you said you may oh, have when I first, a yeah, it was up around four. Four, yeah, yeah that oh, is well. a good sign. Yeah, it was that already up sign. around four. But you were at eleven, huh? Yeah, and, and you were not on dialysis. I was not on dialysis, which I should have been. Were you feeling exactly. pretty lousy? I was feeling pretty terrible. You probably didn't even know how bad you really I felt. I didn't. I didn't until I got the, the transplant, and then I said, and then I could, could compare. So how long did that wild. transplant last? It lasted eleven years. And then you've um, been back on dialysis for how long? I've been back a little over four years. and um, Ready for the next one. Ready for the next Absolutely. Absolutely ready for the next one. Now, this and, leads us to kind of to our subject of today. Mm-hmm. When, Especially, you know, you were so young. How did this affect your psyche going to college? Like you said, you were in denial. Tell us a little bit about I that. I probably went through every every type of uh, manifestation of any kind of psychosis you can imagine because i've been through so many so many different things so many different transitions uh g- getting diagnosed of course is the first transition and I, and like you mentioned denial right away just like uh, me uh, i i couldn't be beat I, i'm i'm 20 years old and i'm <laughs> right. and i'm be- and you killing. didn't feel bad yeah. exactly if you yeah. hide exactly. under the covers nobody sees you exactly <laughs> uh, well, did they t- i'm sorry did they tell you the cause of your kidney glomerulonephritis um and and they said it probably went on for years they don't know exactly how it got there mm-hmm. but at that point they didn't even care how it got well, there they were just you know how did you cope um like I said, at first denial. Mm-hmm. As it got closer, as it started to get serious, and as, as transplant became a common theme, um, depression set in certainly. Mm-hmm. And um, at first, I was like any other patient that I've seen, and I should I should qualify that because right. I, I have worked in dialysis units as a social worker. Isn't that that, and, that must be pretty inspiring to the patients because they can go up and they say, yeah. you know, but you don't understand. Like, yes, I do. Yes, yes, it was it was very interesting, and actually very fulfilling because I was able to get a lot of patients um, transplants who might not have thought about it. Right. Um, but um, I could really talk to them about it and give them my perspective on it. Um, but um, uh, like I said, it, it was. It was a very hard road, and like like I was saying, like most patients, I was not interested in, in learning anything. I was scared. I did not want to know what was going on. I ran away from any kind of education, any kind of knowledge, and just said, all right, ignorance is bliss. Right. Let if me- you don't know about it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Right. exactly. And had you ever seen the inside of a dialysis unit? Oh, no. Neither had oh, no. I. And the first time... Very frightening. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. Because of the other patients there, first of all, yes. Yes. not being your age. Oh, it's it. Yeah, it was. Um, all of it. All of it was a was a shock to me, mm-hmm. and um, and then I just kind of started to pick up learning about about uh, this whole disease and learning about the treatment more than anything. 
And I can say without a doubt that is the best way I, I came across in dealing with any kind of uh, issues I had with it. Knowledge was, was is it, power. <laughs> without question. Without question. I was totally empowered by learning. And to this day, I, I still learn. I still, right. when, I'm, when I go to the dialysis unit, um, most times I'm telling them how to do it. Right. Um, but I still learn from a knowledgeable tech or a nurse who comes over and shows me something new. Um, which I'm very grateful for. You know, I love it. Well, um, a good way that I found to conquer fear is to learn as much as you can absolutely. about something. And once you conquer the fear and you start learning about it, then you start meeting other people who've dealt with it. It helps you transition through all the stages yes. of a chronic illness, all the yes. shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, and grief. And You got it. And then you can move to understanding and acceptance. I mean, that really is where we need to be to be happy. Exactly. Absolutely. You hit it right on the nose. And and if you spend time, like both of you have in a dialysis unit, you tend to see the stages right in front of you. I mean, you see you see patients. When you walk into the unit, you can see the depression. I mean, it's just it's just flowing. Right. And and, and you can see the different ways people respond to you. They're, they may not be ready to respond at all, and you've got to give them that space. Mm-hmm. Let them go through the phase and let them work their way up. But stay with them. You right. know, stay and, and try to... I tried to push them a little bit when I th- when I saw an opening, um, but when they're first diagnosed, it's probably the worst time, and that's when they do it. Right. That's when they start throwing things at you when you're first diagnosed, and you're not open. You you can't hear a thing. Exactly. I know when I first met the social worker the very first day, and I I, I couldn't even look her in the face. Absolutely. I didn't want to be there. I was there yeah. with my wife, and my wife was basically answering the questions for me. Yeah. And I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to answer her questions. Yeah. You know. I remember being in my nephrologist's office, and he said, "You know, you really got to, you know, cut your protein. You know, don't drink so much. You know, that kind of thing. Not not alcohol, but just you know, right, liquids." Right. Of course. And he says, "If you don't, he says, come next door because his." Unit is next door. The unit is next door to his office. He says, "Let me show you the dialysis unit." I said, "No, I don't want to see the dialysis unit." I said, "I'm never going to see that dialysis unit because I can stay this off." Right. You know, and I remember going in once a month to him, and if my creatinine was like two tenths better. I would go, see, I'm fighting it, you know, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And I did a big job in, in Europe, and I came back, and it was like, it had jumped up like three points. Right. And, you know, it was uh, You horrible. know, I know, it is. It's one of the emotions that I found that was most difficult was the anger mm. that accompanies having a chronic illness. Just realizing, you know, wow, I can't drink this, I'm angry about this, I'm angry for having mm-hmm. kidney disease. And what's some advice that you give your, you know, your clients in that, and also yourself when you're dealing with anger? Yeah, all those emotions that are inside of you. How do you yeah. deal with that? You know, it, it again, it depends on where... The, the person is in the in the uh, scheme of things. Um, I at this point, I of course go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe in therapy. Always have, and it's been a godsend for me. I I I will tell you without hesitation, there is a huge lack of a, of assistance for us in this field, and there should be much more. Um, I'm amazed at what I see that goes on in the units when a patient is absolutely showing signs of depression or some other kind of emotion, and even the doctors don't pick up the ball and run with it and do something. Uh, I'm not saying all the doctors do that, but many of them do. Right. You know how they do their rounds in a dialysis unit. I was going to say, I mean, how could they even pick up on it? I mean, I, I literally, they come around every Monday, Right. you know, and they are literally spending 20 seconds with exactly. me. Exactly. 
you know, they, they listen to my chest. They go, how you doing? I go, well, I'm doing fine, you know. And uh, they move on to the next patient. Right. Because they want to go to their private practice. Exactly. They want to get out of there. Right, exactly. Um, and and they're not going to say, oh, you look depressed today and tell me about it. And, and I don't know if all the social workers are equipped to deal with depression. I think they seem to be dealing more with, oh, are you going to go out of town and I'll you're arrange ab- You're it. absolutely right. The, uh, the clinical areas um, is not, how can I say, it, it's not totally, it's not told to the social worker, go in there and sit with the patient and talk about some clinical issues. Right. No, we what talk the- talk about insurance and talk about uh, things that that are going to get them paid, basically. You know, <laughs> those type of things. And the clinical areas are kind of left up to the patient to kind of deal with. Now, I take it upon myself very often to tell somebody what I see if I'm observing a patient in the unit, and I and you can actually pick up on it very quickly because there's some very common things that go on with a patient. Um, first of all, you can just assume that if they're diagnosed, that they're depressed. I think that's the best thing to do in the world. Just assume it and go in there from that standpoint and say, okay, let me check this person out and how can I assist them? And secondly, what's very important is because you, you must look at the cultures. You've got so many different cultures in these dialysis that's, units. Oh my gosh, it's the United Nations. Yes. It's the <laughs> United Nations where, exactly. I, where I am. And, and some cultures will not even take to you saying to them, are you depressed? Right. That's not something we talk about. Well, a lot of know. them don't even speak English I, in exactly. my unit. Exactly, exactly. You know, we have so you can imagine people that. and a lot of Filipinos. Yeah. Uh, that don't, yes. that only sp- and the staff is Filipino, so they speak they another speak to, language. Yeah, exactly right. Right. Well, right. you know what? When we come back, we're going to look for some signs of depression and how yes. to identify them. So uh, stay Absolutely. tuned. When this old world starts getting me down, and people are just too much for me to face, I climb way up to the top of the stairs, and all. Right into space. Hello? Hi, Mom. Boy, that was some storm last night, huh? We actually lost power for a few minutes. Oh, you think that was bad? You should have seen the one back in 52. Well, now that you're on dialysis, you should really have a plan in case of an emergency. Ha! Last emergency I had was when you got your head stuck in the hamster cage. Scared the little fellow to death. Those big eyes just staring at him. I'm talking about emergencies, like severe weather, earthquakes, or power outages. What if there was no water or transportation to get you to dialysis? It's important to be prepared. You mean like carrying important medical information? Or asking your facility for alternative arrangements for treatment? Or preparing emergency stock of supplies, foods, and medicines. Or learning what diet to follow if your dialysis must be delayed. You already knew all this? I've got to run, Sonny. I'm late for Taekwondo. Bye, Mom. Hi, folks. Crazy Kenny Kid here to tell you about the incredible specials we're having. We are definitely wheeling and dealing this weekend. If I can't put you in a proper access, a lifeline like me and the missus like to call them, then I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. First, we have a Crazy Kenny Kid special on hemodialysis access with several different models. We have catheters great for the beginners or in any emergency, but you'll soon want to move up to a more sporting model. Next, we have the AV graft, a good utility access. But believe me, sweet folks, I have saved the best for last, the fish you love. This is the access 
that everyone is talking about. You'll get great mileage and years of use with this baby. What's that you say? Hemo just doesn't fit the lifestyle you prefer, PD? Well, feast your eyes on this baby. Oh, I forgot this is radio. You'll just have to trust me on this one, folks. This is the PD catheter model. Beautiful, efficient, and easily hidden from view. So take your pick. We're dealing all week. We'll really have to move these babies. Keep your access clean and free of infection. A daily check for signs of redness and warmth could indicate infection. Check with your health care team for tips on how to keep your dialysis access clean and safe for use. And remember, if I can't put you in one of these lifelines, I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. All the And we're back, and you know what? I'm really depressed. Can you tell? <laughs> Absolutely. You could tell. No, tell us what I can't the signs see, are. I can't see you. I can just hear you. Oh, okay. Can... Well, tell us what the signs are. Well, you know, it's it's a, it's an interesting dilemma because a lot of the signs of depression could be confused with signs of problems with with being a kidney patient. Right, like uh, being tired. Exactly How's that? right. Exactly, being tired is is one of them. Change in eating habits, and uh, we change all the time. Right. Um, but, sleeping, yeah, having sl- problems sleeping. sleeping. Uh-huh. Sleeping too much, sleeping too little. Um, they run the gambit. Um, of course, outer signs, you can see a change in, in, a, in somebody's uh, appearance. Uh, maybe they're not taking care of themselves anymore. Uh, certainly, uh, what I used to do as a social worker, of course, is, is talk to the techs and the nurses who were right there on the firing line all the time and they could see the signs quicker than than anybody could because they see you every time you come Mm -hmm. in most of the time we have a favorite tech or we have a favorite nurse who works with us well i guarantee you they're picking up on it they may not even know it right but they're picking up on it so if somebody is kind of prodding them to say come talk to me come tell me when you see a patient a change in a patient uh, something's going on maybe they uh... they stopped maybe they're a reader of books you know, and they love to read during dialysis, and then they kind of stopped, and they don't do anything. Right. They sleep. You know, their let, behaviors change exactly, and the family members can observe that as well. Family members are vitally important. The support system is the most important part, especially for a depressed person, mm-hmm. um, because, like you say, they can let us know what's mm-hmm. going on, and they can help. Well, one of the things that when I was depressed, um, and I would become angry, they would kind of be jumbled all together. Sure. Um, one of the things that I would do is I would find a hobby, something that I could just kind of lose myself in. Mm-hmm. Like I would make crafts or I um, give me a glue gun and I'm just in heaven. And glue and lace she was trying and to hold every, up a bank exactly. With a glue gun. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know something that was creative. It helped me get out of the depression. And I think sometimes I would just have to take my body and my mind would follow. Like I wouldn't be in the mood to do it, right. but I knew I had to do it. And I think that that's one of the things that I would do when I would become depressed. Now, did you do crafts while you were doing dialysis? Yeah. Yes. Actually, when I was in the hospital for long periods of time, I used to bring in all my little craft projects. And and actually, I made quite a good living um, because I would make all these little things when I was a young girl at UCLA. And they mm-hmm. no longer let you sell things in hospitals because I think I ruined it for everybody. But, you um, sold things in the hospital? Yeah, I would make all these little arts and craft projects and you know beaded ornaments. And then I would wake up in the morning, there would be like checks in my drawer, and they would like take these ornaments, um, you know, Christmas ornaments that I had made. And it was, 
I, I needed the money desperately for sure. the therapy that I needed, which was <laughs> art therapy. And it That's made me terrific. feel very valuable yes. because somebody wanted something that I made. And, you know, they just made a donation to help me pay for the cost of the supplies. But it was it was I have to tell you, one of the single most effective things that I did for myself was have craft projects on hand. And as you know, if you come to our house today, there's all kinds of craft projects mm. and things that I've made. Or um, it, It's just my nature, and that's what I did. That's wonderful. So you had the wherewithal to, to pursue something. Right. The, the trick is, can you get to that place to right. pursue it? Exactly. Um, whatever works. Well, exactly. I, you know, I did something similar. I, I didn't sell craft products. I, I, projects. You did I, cheese products? I, I sold craft products. <laughs> cheese know. products? Right. Mac and cheese. Whiz, uh, I mean, I had a stash. Being 300 pounds, you know. I had my own did little stash. Did you sell them or did you I just sold buy them. them? I sold them. <laughs> you know, I was no fool. I had to you know, do it for my Weight Watchers. So I had to pay for that. Um, you know, the other signs of depression is probably what... I, you know, people notice on me is I weep uncontrollably in the dialysis chair. So that, that's a that good could sign be a too. Good, that could be, you know, uh, this is a very subtle sign, but yeah, that could <laughs> that could definitely be a sign. Yeah, um, you know, and I also notice that it depends on the tech that you have. Right. Some are very compassionate, and others, I think, it's a job for them. You know, and it's too bad because they should also be um, schooled in this. I totally agree with um, that. And and I actually. There's some great techs, and there's some, and yes. there's some ones that you know are just there, like you say, for the job, and um, they may be afraid. They may be afraid. They don't know what to do. They're n- nobody taught them how to deal with this, and um, it might scare them. Can you imagine working in that environment? I, I, I can. The only thing is, one time, and this was probably about a month ago. Uh, there's a certain tech that doesn't stick me well, uh-huh. and it hurt really bad. And I went, oh, my gosh, ow, 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 ow. And they said, oh, stop being such a baby. Right. I right? love it when they do that. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, I'll tell you what. Let's switch places. Exactly right. And let me stick you. Exactly. You know. I like your story, though, Stephen, that when you took in the easy button from Staples, and after they stick I saw you. It. There's a button that you can get at Staples, and uh-huh. it's a big button that says easy, yeah, I've right? Seen those. And if you press the button, there's a man's voice that says, that was easy. <laughs> and I brought it into the dialysis unit, and I said, if you stick me only one time, because sometimes they stick me four or five times right. before they can get the vein. I said, then you get to press the button. <laughs> and they, they, they were very—they really wanted to press that button. I'm sure. And they stuck me just once, and I let them press the button, and they were laughing <laughs> and everything. So it, it kind of broke the ice. And that's a great way to deal with emotions, isn't it? Absolutely, Humor. absolutely. You, you did a—you did a wonderful thing for yourself and for them. They called me a nerd. They say you're now officially a nerd. That's I said, fine. That's, okay. that's fine. Well, what are what are some of the things that you know today you're you're basically seeing clients, but you also are dealing with it yourself, right? And do you have any things that you you know like to do to help yourself feel better? I mean, well, I certainly like the spiritual end, um, mm-hmm. and by spiritual I mean meditation, um, mm-hmm. anything that will calm calm me, where I can find a way to find peace in all this, which is the hardest thing to do, right? Um, I also am a big believer in uh, the existential part of this, which is to find meaning in what we're doing. Right. Every patient wants to find some kind of meaning to this. Why am I going through this? Yes. Why me? Right. And sometimes it's real, real hard to find an answer to that question. Um, it's like that. there was a rabbi that wrote a book one time, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good right, People? Right, right. And that's what I feel like, you know, because I've really led a really 
uh, moral kind of life. And why do I have all oh, these problems? I hear you. you know? I hear you. So you got and that, that is that is a typical question and a very common one. Um, I I am a strong believer in in groups. Mm-hmm. And I know groups are, especially for any chronic illness, are the best types of therapy around, uh, is a group. Yes. And um, Positive groups, not yes. bitch groups. No, no. Oh, wait, it, can it, I say that on the air? I'm sure we did it already. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, because they tend to become event group. Exactly, you know? that's a better word. Yeah. Have you ever been to a divorced man's group? <laughs> No, I can't say I have. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's right. Why would you be in a divorced man's group? Okay. But groups are great because, um, you know, you can call each other on the stuff. Right. You know, and, and, and you're all basically in the same boat here. And we know we know what's going on. And it, it's it's really good stuff when it's facilitated correctly. Exactly. Not, not to be a vent group. I totally um, agree with you. It's so weird. You know, I was told, you know, you're going on dialysis, and they gave me a bunch of pamphlets right. and everything. Right, You read up on this, and I was at UCLA, and the UCLA really is a factory, I mean, you, at you this got point. It. You got it. And you're a cook, it's a cookie-cutter type of thing. And I went through these pamphlets. I didn't want to look at them. And I saw one that said rsnhope.org, and I called the number. I, I don't know why I called that one number and I got Lori Hartwell on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I never, you know, talked to her and I said, and, and what I had experienced before that was people were giving me two minutes of their time, three minutes of their time. Right. And Lori was on the phone. I couldn't get her off the phone. Right, right. You know, I said, oh, I gotta go now. Uh, okay, thanks for talking. Okay, I, said, I gotta go now. Else tonight. <laughs> right. Give you a follow-up. And I went, what a wonderful person, <laughs> exactly. you know. And, exactly. and, and we just had all these ideas and she gave me all this information. I learned more from the hour and a half I was on the phone with her than I had, you know, for six months of Absolutely. being told I was going to be on kidney disease. Well, I think what the benefit is is that when patients talk to other patients, they know where they're at and they know what information they need at that yes. stage. Yes. And then they also know how to connect with them and really listen and say, oh, well, this is what I did. Exactly. And that's really what you need to get through this illness. This is This is a difficult illness. It's one of the most... Uh, difficult illnesses I think there is because in reality other illnesses I mean they don't have the support that we have with dialysis um, you know right. they really aren't right. around to need the support I mean that's the blessing of it having a kidneys fail yes. they can do such so much for you to keep you here yes. but you need to have the positive attitude and the mental wherewithal to be able to stand up to it Yes, I, I agree with you and also there's so many transitions with this disease I mean you you go from Diagnosed to maybe dialysis to now a transplant to maybe back to dialysis. Right. You know, you, you're, you're always going through something. Different passages. Exactly. There, that's right. a, that's good. I like that. Different passages where you're where you're gonna get head trips all over again. You know, something new is gonna come up, a different issue, and oh, I gotta deal with this now. Right. You know, I find myself constantly when I get depressed, and I still do. You know, I will. I will. My training will has taught me to kind of sit back and kind of figure out, okay, what's going on with me right now? What what was the trigger for this? Mm-hmm. What caused me to kind of feel this way? Um, and I'll kind of figure, oh, you know, I was in the unit and I saw this happen, and I and I that made me feel bad. Right. And, and I'll and I'll and I'll kind of share that not only with my therapist, I'll share it with myself, you know, and and but kind see, of talk it out. That's the key there, Howard, because a lot of people, I know myself included, will. You know, someone say, "Well, what's wrong?" And even though I'm depressed, and I'll say, "Well, nothing really. I, exactly. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong." You, we really do know what's wrong, but exactly. we don't want to admit it to ourselves. You got it. 
You got it. There's no question. And then when you have to go to that environment, that is a horrible environment, dialysis. I mean, let's face it. It, it is. is not conducive to any kind of good mental health. Right. Um, you're right. You're absolutely right. All you see is is people upset, and all you see is... Uh, and, I, and I tell the staff, I say, you know, take a look at us and, and try to guess what we have to do for three, four hours if we're, if we're sitting there. Do you think we hear your conversation? Do you think yes. we notice what you're doing? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if you say something that's kind of off color or something that is about a patient, Guess who's going to pick up on exactly. it? Exactly. Well, I always say, you know, in one of my speeches that I give, you know, uh, our kidneys failed, but not our hearing. I mean, our hearing actually improves because yeah. <laughs> uh, we can hear everything when we're sitting in that chair um, because we so become so attuned to what's happening. I can even our hear things really through my headset right. watching television. Right. I can still hear things. Right. Absolutely. So it's important for them always to keep their conversations positive about really fellow uh, co-workers and patients because so right, uh, everybody so right. will pick it up on radar. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're feeling down, you gotta you got to go there. Sometimes right. you just got to go there. Have right. to have a pity party. You know, you just I have a pity party sometimes. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. I've never idea. been invited to her pity party. <laughs> I know, but the pity party can't last very long because if it, it lasts too long, all you ever have coming to your party right. is, is other pitiers, <laughs> and and then pretty soon, um, none of the positive people want to ever come to your party. So it's really hard to get out of it. So I'm a big believer right, in pity parties. I know another thing that keeps me not depressed is keeping active and busy, sure. which drives my wife crazy because she says, after dialysis, just come home and rest and everything. And I go, you know, that's when I get depressed. Right. You uh-huh. know, and I'm going, oh, my God, I'm watching Judge Judy at 3 o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. What am I doing with my life? Well, yeah. I think too much free time in a chronic illness is disaster. It's and a renal diet. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. You're right. Couch, you got to eat something. I know, yeah. and then right. every single commercial comes on, the, right. all the food you can't eat. Uh-huh. Well, I actually have one more question. Well, that's too bad. Sorry. Right, I want to know what ask. Howard thinks his future holds. What do you see in the future for you? Because I know that's a big part of coping yeah. with an illness is making sure that you see that you have a future. And, that's, and that is a very, very important point because if you read read the literature these days, what it's showing is we already know that there's mm-hmm. a shortage of nurses. Right. Uh, we already know there's a shortage of staff. Now, there are many doctors not going into the field of nephrology, um, is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guess what that means? The population is growing gigantically, and the people who are helping us are not going into the field. Well, we better learn. We better become educated uh, as much as we can because we're going to need to kind of take care of ourselves. I'm not saying that in in a literal sense, but I mean we need to know as much as we can so that we can watch over our own health. Let me tell you now when I come home feeling tired and weak, I go up where the air is fresh and Oh, I just love pretzels. Let's, let me see here. One serving is six pretzels? What, are they kidding me? Who only ate six pretzels? I have to stay on my renal diet. I know. I can bite part of one pretzel. Then bite the side of another pretzel. 
and then I hook them together, and I can count that as one pretzel. Mm. Boy, that was good. You know what I love now? A big gulp. Now if I fill it up halfway, and then drink it, and refill it to the top, now that won't count towards my daily fluid intake. Or will it? Make the connection. Eating high-sodium foods makes you thirsty, which will make you retain more fluids. Do you want to share a tip on how to stay within your fluid limit? Email us at kidneytalk at rsnhope.org, and we'll let our listeners in on your different tips. Well, he gave some great advice, didn't he? Uh, you know, I really identified with him. I really I know. did. And not be just because he's Jewish. <laughs> you know, he... he I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) Okay. You know, adjusting to living with a chronic illness, you know, it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of support. It takes knowledge. It takes hope. It takes all kinds of things. And he gave us a lot of really good pointers and everything. And all those unexpected challenges we have to deal with. I mean, you know, you really have to have your toolkit on how to cope. Because if you don't have your toolkit in place of the things that you need to do or what to ask, um, it's really difficult to stay positive and have a happy life. I actually have a tool belt. You have a tool belt. I I have have a tool tool purse. Yeah. I have a tool purse. I don't have a tool kit. I just have a tool belt. (laughs) You know? I hang my ego on one side, (laughs) my depression on another, and I just use them at will. Where's the anger? Right. Where's the shock and denial? The anger's in the back where it belongs. (laughs) We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information.